Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, episode number 23. One Dmitri, two Dmitri, three Dmitri, more. Last week, we had Boris Gudunov ascending the throne, finally becoming Tsar in name. He had already been the real ruler, with Ivan the Terrible's feeble-minded son Fyodor holding the titular title. Gudunov had at last achieved the position he yearned for so long, but this was not the time of wine and roses that he had expected. 1598, the year Boris ascended the throne, was known to history as the beginning of a 15-year period known as the Smotnoi Vremi, or Time of Troubles. When Boris took over, he had to get rid of two families, the Nagois, who were the family of Ivan IV's slain son, Dmitri, and the Romanovs, the family of Ivan's beloved first wife, Anastasia. One of the Romanovs Boris had banished was the eldest member of the clan, Fyodor, who would later change his name to Filaret when he became a monk. He had already had a child, one Michael Romanov, who was exiled to the monastery of St. Cyril in Belozero with his mother. Of the two males, we will hear much about them prominently in the not-so-distant future. Boris proceeded to give the people a tax holiday to win their favor, along with giving money to widows and orphans, as well as granting amnesty to a large number of imprisoned criminals. All was seemingly good in Russia, but then God seemingly turned his back on the country, as in 1599 the weather began to turn ugly. First, the summer of 1599 was exceedingly hot and dry. Crops failed and the price of bread soared. Boris opened the government granaries and helped feed the people, but this was no ordinary stretch of bad weather, as in 1600, another bad harvest hit Russia. In 1601, heavy rains and floods devastated the north, causing tens of thousands of peasants to abandon the gentry's estates, despite laws against their movement. Russia was in the grips of a famine whose vastness had never been seen before. The Duma, enacting new, stricter laws, attempted to stem the tide of fleeing peasants, which turned them into serfs, slaves to the land, an institution that would last 250 years. The problems of starvation were everywhere, but nowhere as great as in Moscow. The granaries were empty, and people were scavenging for food everywhere. Because of Boris's benevolence in giving away food, Moscow was quickly becoming inundated with refugees from the countryside. By 1602, people were dying everywhere, and many of the survivors were seen eating grass like cattle and even resorting to cannibalism. In a chronicle of the day, an eyewitness recounted the scene. Quote, I swear to God that this is the truth. I saw with my own, own eyes people lying on the streets, eating grass like cattle in summer and hay in winter. Some were already dead with hay and dung in their mouths, and also, pardon my indelicacy, had swallowed human excrement. Many dead bodies of people had perished through hunger were found daily in the streets. Hundreds of corpses were gathered up at the Tsar's command and carried away on so many carts that to behold it, scarcely to be believed, was grisly and horrible. Unquote. Over 100,000 had perished from starvation and disease in Moscow alone. It must have been a horrific time to be a Russian. But why was this happening? Who was to blame? All eyes turned to the top, Boris Gudunov. God must have angered him by some sin he had committed, 
We the people are innocent, so it must be a grievous and horrible sin that Boris committed that could bring such famine, pestilence, and death to the good people of Russia. Maybe it was the murder of the legitimate Tsar, Ivan the terrible son Dmitri. Boris's handling of the investigation into the young boy's death, as we recounted last week, was bungled, and now he was going to have to pay for it. Because of the bad weather in the north of Russia, the population began to shift to the more fertile south, which had been depopulated in the 13th century by the invading Mongols and held down by the marauding Tartars. It was in the south that we, be, we see the beginnings of a rebellion against the autocracy of Moscow, led by a man calling himself Dmitri. Wait, wasn't Dmitri dead? Now remember, when Boris Gudunov had Prince Shuisky investigate the boy's supposed murder, by not bringing the body to Moscow to be shown to the people and buried next to his father and half-brother, he opened the door, allowing pretenders to make outlandish claims. The tale of Dmitri's death by accidentally slitting his own throat was thought incredulous by the populace. No, the boy couldn't be dead. He must be alive and would lead his people instead of the evil Tsar Boris. He would bring the good tidings of God to his chosen people. It was under these circumstances that caused Russia to plunge into civil war with the sparks started by a young, ambitious man who by some accounts really believed himself to be the son of Ivan IV. Here we are set to meet the first false Dmitri. Considered the greatest historian of his time period, Platonov divides the time of troubles into three consecutive and overlapping periods, the dynastic, the social, and the nationalistic. Ryazanovsky, another eminent Russian historian, adds, This classification immediately suggests the complexity of the subject. It is into this first classification, the dynastic period, that the first false Dmitri comes into focus. The dynastic framework, as well as the social one, was shattered. Gudunov, while a capable man, had little dynastically in his background to warrant his ascension to the throne. The societal framework of appanage princes and the boyar class was shattered because of the Oprichnina period overseen by Ivan. It was into this that a pretender to the throne of Moscow could succeed where he should have failed miserably. In 1601, Grigory Otrepiev made noise in Moscow claiming that he was Dmitri. He fled the city as Gudunov's secret agents, who were seemingly everywhere, were about to arrest him. First, he headed towards the south with the Cossacks, who will be a topic of my next Slapshot podcast. Then he made his way to Lithuania, where he was able to garner the support from the Jesuits and a number of Lithuanian and Polish aristocrats. He then fell in love with the daughter of a Polish prince, one Marina Minizech. He pledged that if he were to attain the mantle of power, he would work towards Catholicizing Russia. In Moscow, Gudunov's enemies caught wind of the claims of this false Dmitri, and he was secretly embraced by them. In October of 1604, with a horribly weakened Russia ahead of him, the false Dmitri invaded with only 1,500 Cossacks, Polish mercenaries, and other soldiers of fortune. There's absolutely no logical reason why this ragtag band should have had a chance in hell to succeed. But succeed they did because of an extraordinary stroke of luck, as in April 1605, Boris Gudunov suddenly died. His trusted commander, Fyodor Basmanov, seeing the changing winds of fate, went over to the false Dmitri's side. 
both Gudunov's wife and his son, who had served briefly as Tsar, as Fyodor II, were deposed and murdered. False Dmitri walked into Moscow unopposed. The people rejoiced, truly believing that this strangely dressed man with red hair and a large wart on his nose was the son of Ivan IV, and he was ready to lead his people out of the dark times. Vasily Shuisky, the very man Gudunov sent to investigate the murder of Dmitri, recanted and declared this man to be the true heir to the throne. They even went so far as to bring out the real Dmitri's mother to proclaim this impostor her son. Many who opposed Gudunov returned to Moscow from exile, with the most important being the monk Filaret, formerly known as Fyodor Romanov. Filaret was named Metropolitan of Rostov, where he and his son and former wife would wait their turn. Unfortunately, he would later be captured for ransom by the Poles and would not return to Moscow again until 1619. The Shuiskis, a conniving family, immediately began to subterfuge the pretender to the crown's regime. Rumors circulated, questioning the claim that he was really Dmitri. To compound the problem, the false Dmitri married his love, Marina, in a Catholic ceremony and brought her and her Polish entourage to Moscow, infuriating the public and the boyars. Vasily Shuisky then made his move. On May 26, 1605, with fellow Prince Vasily Golitsyn at his side, with a large army, he entered Moscow to the save the city from the hated Poles, deposing the first false Dmitri. They brought out the real Dmitri's mother again, who then recanted her story, claiming that she was coerced into saying that this man was her son. Dmitri was summarily executed and cremated, with his ashes stuffed into a cannon which was fired in the direction of Poland. Now, according to Platinov, we enter the social phase of the time of troubles. While the dynastic phase was still going on for another ten years, the social phase takes over in importance. In the previous thirteen and a half months, Russia had seen four Tsars, Boris and Fyodor Gudunov, the false Dmitri, and now Vasily Shuisky. Shuisky, though, was a terribly unpopular Tsar, firing numerous insurrections from all over. The prince from uh, Astrakhan refused to obey Shuisky. Then a rebellion led by Shekhovsky and Bolotnikov came to the city gates of Moscow before being dispatched. Then, as if out of the ashes of the phoenix, another false Dmitri emerges in August of 1607. Marina Minsech proclaimed him her husband and even the original Dmitri's mother. There she comes again, saying, oh, now this man is really Dmitri. But Vasily Shuisky now made a fatal mistake. He didn't take the pretender seriously. The second false Dmitri set up camp near Moscow in the city of Tushino, and actually created a second government. Here he becomes known to history as the Felon of Tushino. The new second government then made a deal with the new Polish king, Sigismund III, who wanted to place his son, Vyadislav, on the Russian throne. He decided to declare war on Russia. Infighting within the Shuisky family eventually caused Vasily Shuisky off the throne and into a monastery in July of 1610. Chaos reigned throughout Russia as the social fabric was shredded with the numerous threats from within and from without. The nationalistic phase emerged at this time when the very existence of Russia was in doubt. 
Sigismund was rattling his saber, as were the Swedes. The second false Dmitri, the felon of Tashino, was gathering forces when the boyars and people of Moscow held a Zemsky Sabor, where they elected Vyadislav as Tsar, if he would convert to orthodoxy. Initially, Sigismund agreed, but quickly reneged and occupied Moscow and much of western Russia. This once proud nation was in shambles. Then the church got involved, led by Patriarch Hermogen, gathering forces to oppose the Poles. With initial success, they occupied most of Moscow, but disintegrated when their leader, Prokopius Lyapunov, was killed in July of 1611. Now, a third false Dmitri appears, who was the son of the second false Dmitri, the felon of Tashino, who was killed by rivals within his own camp. This boy was known as the Little Felon of Tashino. It would have been easy for Russia to have given up at this time, but because of a lack of effort by the Poles and Swedes, the Russian people saw an opening, led by two extraordinary men, Prince Dmitri Pozarsky and a truly unlikely hero, a butcher by, name, by trade, Kuzma Minin from Nizhny Novgorod. An army was amassed from all sections of society, and the Second National Army reached Moscow in September of 1612. Within months, this national army ousted the hated Poles and restored Russian rule. Now they needed to elect a new leader, a new Tsar. Next week we start the story of the rise of the Romanovs, a family that was to rule over Russia for 304 years. Now, for this week in Russian history, for the week of October 3rd through the 9th, in 1052, we have Vladimir of Novgorod dying. In 1480, a standoff between the forces of Akhmad Khan, Khan of the Grand Horde, and Grand Duke Ivan III of Russia, which resulted in the retreat of the Tartar Mongols and the eventual disintegration of the Horde. In 1569, Vladimir of Staritsa, Russian prince, cousin of Ivan the Terrible, is executed. In 1760, we have the Seven Years' War. Russian forces occupied Berlin. In 1776, we have Crown Prince Paul of Russia bearing Sophie Marie Dorothea of Württemberg. In 1791, the Russian statesman Grigory Potemkin dies. In 1853, we have the Crimean War. The Ottoman Empire declared war on Russia. One year later, in the Crimean War, the siege of Sebastopol began. And in 1888, Nikolai Ivanovich Bukharin, Russian politician, is born. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to visit the iTunes App Store and download the Russian Rulers app. And please visit the website at russianrulers.podhoster.com. Become a Facebook friend at Russian Rulers History Podcast. Ask a question, make a suggestion, and please leave a comment. And as always, до свидания и спасибо большое.